When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, welcome to Luke Law, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. Happy New Year everyone, I took a little bit of a last minute holidays break, which I really needed but still feel sorry for, but that means we begin this year with something exciting to talk about. The votes are in, there's a clear winner, Edinburgh won the audience vote for Most Haunted in Britain 2021. A few things are going to happen soon related to this, most immediately, this episode is a bonus episode covering some more Edinburgh stories. The popular choice gets the bigger platform. Even with emails that did vote for a different location, they mentioned Edinburgh as being a second pick. Scotland's spirits really struck a chord with everyone who reached out. So then, short term, I'll be getting an awards plaque made for Edinburgh winning the vote. I need a little more research to finish this up, not just getting one made, but also finding where to award it to. So I have a little reaching out to do among such places as the Edinburgh Tourist Information Centre and the British Heritage Foundation. I'll then pop up with the plaque, raid some places for folklore books, and grab some pictures for social media showing off the award. I had a lot of fun with this series, stick around at the end for what will follow on long term from this contest, although some language I've used so far does hold hints. For now though, let's enjoy the winning location some more. You don't get to be most haunted in Britain and have only a single episode of stories to explore. The Furry Coffins. Let's begin both the episode and the new year with giving Brennan a minor Good Labours related anxiety attack. It's furry in name only though, so should be safe. Well, maybe. Edinburgh isn't just the urbanised city itself. There are less built up areas surrounding the city to dabble in which still count as Edinburgh, one such location being Arthur's Seat. It's just east of the city and somewhat hard to miss, looming over Edinburgh with no small amount of awesome majesty. Arthur's Seat is an ancient inactive volcano that makes for the biggest point of a group of hills in Holyrood Park, which is a great start for something creepy to go down, and it holds the secret to at least one bizarre mystery. Along with two other parts, those being the Castle Rock and Colton Hill, Arthur's Seat is an ASSI, Area of Special Scientific Interest. The volcano formed over 300 million years ago, maybe as far back as 341 million years. Come the Quaternary some time before humanity has been understand it across the last 2 million years, a glacier moving west-east eroded the volcano. This left distinctive rocky crags making up Arthur's Seat today, and dragged material across the region making up foundations of that area. The way in which the peak was exposed for easy observation, as well as how the Salisbury crags had formed from the glacial erosion, helped to find the science of geology as we know it with key figures such as James Hutton, the man attributed as the father of modern geology, studying this fascinating location. It's not just scientists who have had their minds blown wide open by this awe-inspiring peak. Robert Louis Stevenson loved Arthur's seat, having a somewhat famous quote calling it, a hill for magnitude, a mountain in virtue of its bold design. 
As the name may suggest, this peak is a prime candidate for being the location of Camelot. It's basically always been a hill fort for as long as there were people to fight over it. The glacier leaving behind an obvious natural advantage for the hominids who moved in after it, with evidence of prehistoric settlements, as well as more obvious remains such as those of an Iron Age hill fort. There's a lot of Christian mythology surrounding the location too. The base of Arnfa's seat, back when it was forested in the 12th century, is where King David I is supposed to have encountered a stag after falling from his horse. From this unenviable position, what should have followed was a right royal goring, but the stag turned away and left him unharmed. The king swore he saw a vision of a cross between the stag's antlers before he was spurred, and he went on to found Holyrood Abbey, believing it was divine intervention that had spurred him. This tale is immortalised in various places to this day, and the Borough Arms on the Cannon Gate features a stag with a cross between its antlers. Arthur's seat is old, as rare as it is raw, and something strange was found there in 1836. Three boys were out hunting for rabbits, the combination of boredom and a need for game to fill their bellies having them poking around every nook and cranny, when they discovered something hidden up there in a small concealed crevasse. Seventeen miniature coffins, each with dolls inside of them. Charles Fort, as in Fortean times Charles Fort, gave a good description of them. That, early in July, 1836, some boys were searching for rabbit's burrows in the rocky formation, near Edinburgh, known as Arthur's Seat. In the side of a cliff they came upon some thin sheets of slate, which they pulled out. Little cave, seventeen tiny coffins, three or four inches long. In the coffins were miniature wooden figures, they were dressed differently in both style and material. They were two tiers of eight coffins each, and a third one begun, with one coffin. The extraordinary datum which has especially made mystery here, that the coffins had been deposited singly, in the little cave, and at intervals of many years. In the first tier, the coffins were quite decayed, and the wrappings had moulded away. In the second tier, the effects of age had not advanced so far, and the top coffin was quite recent looking. Now, there's a minor archaeological disaster that unfolds here, as they were discovered by bored young boys in a time before television. The boys went on to destroy some coffins by throwing them at each other. That this didn't end in their gruesome demise is why this is a tale of a mystery as opposed to that of a terrifying curse being unleashed. It didn't help that the boys' schoolmaster who retrieved the furry coffins would then go on to pry some open with a knife to see what was inside, but he was a member of a local archaeological society so the coffins would then go on to be recorded from here rather than being long forgotten hooking coffins one lazy afternoon in the 19th century. No one knows what they are or what they were for. Witchcraft was blamed at various points, again this being a time before television when people had to make their own entertainment. They've been called Lilliputian coffins. One fairy links them to the victims of Burke and Hare. They may also have been some form of a mimic burial maintained for sailors who were lost at sea. The name fairy coffin stuck across the centuries though. Make of that what you will with appropriate levels of worry. Eight of these coffins survived the initial vandalism followed by assorted rich people determined to collect them and they can be seen in the National Museum of Scotland. They're pretty creepy. Pretty cool, but creepy. As a bit of a palate cleanser from the furry coffins, I've got one last bit of magic to share from Arthur's seat this episode. Come May Day, it's traditional for young girls to bathe their faces in the dew on the slopes facing Holyrood to make themselves more beautiful. The poet Robert Ferguson wrote the poem Callow Water in the 1770s about this tradition. Here's how the final three verses go. What max old Reeky's dame safer? It cannot be the hailsome er, but Caller burn beyond compare. 
the best o' oni that gars them a sick grace's scare and blinks say bonny. On May Day in a furry ring, we've seen them round St. Anton Spring, fray grass the colour dewdraps ring to wheat their ein and water clear as crystal spring to sin them clean. Oh, may they still pursue the way to look say fiat, say clean, say gay, then shall their beauties glance like May, and, like her, be the goddess of the vocal spray, the muse, and me. A terrifying dead end. We've been relatively fun and history-facing so far, time to get spooky. Edinburgh is one of those strange European cities, so basically a European city, which grew almost organically. It's about as far away from a planned population centre as you can get, with strange pressures causing weird quirks of architecture. In the Middle Ages, Edinburgh was growing in population, but it was hemmed in by the physical constraints of the walls. As every new building needed to be within these main fortifications, they couldn't grow out, instead growing up and over. Closes, residential areas with one way in and one way out, began to lose the light as tenements went up as high as ten stories tall. That doesn't sound like much in a world of skyscrapers, but there was no spaced out city blocks in Edinburgh. Everything was already cramped in as it could go before the city started clawing its way upwards. On top of this is what comes from below. Parts of Edinburgh are on top of the strangest things. Quite frequently more Edinburgh that has just been built over the top of. But this particular part of the city is worse even than forgotten parts of the city like the crypts. It was the close nearest to Nor Loch. When you hear Loch, you think something beautiful and pristine like Loch Ness. But this is something very different. Nor Loch was an artificial body of water that was made to finish the defence of Edinburgh. And it was grim. The nicest thing you can say about it is that it was a dangerous smuggling route. It was a common suicide spot that was incredibly polluted. It even has at least one story been used to execute people, locking them in a box and shoving them into the vile soup. Eventually, in the Middle Ages, everything went in there and no one was desperate enough to drink from it. So you have a clothes cut off from the light over a lake of poison. One way in, one way out. This is Murray King's clothes, and it was set to be hell even before the plague came to it in 1645, when the lone entrance got sealed up and everyone was left to die. I'm not exaggerating when I say everyone. What the plague failed to claim, the sealing off eventually finished. This was a terrible, desperate attempt to contain the plague by exterminating a section of the population. Once the plague passed, and no person yet lived in Mary King's clothes, the stench of the bodies became a problem. The same city fathers who issued the mass death sentence then set out to fix this problem. They hired two butchers to chop up the corpses and haul the rotting chunks out of the city on carts. Then, what should happen after this? Demand for accommodation was so great that the recently vacated clothes began to be filled again. To what should be the surprise of no one, by 1685 it was common knowledge the clothes was haunted by the plague victims who died there. Anyone surprised by this? There were a lot of reports of apparitions from that street, some of which could be chalked up to the biogas from the gross mess of the Nor Lock, but I don't think combustible poisonous gases known to cause hallucinations is much in the way of a comforting alternative theory here. As the city got around to later developments, and some healthy expansion was begun for a change with the system of bridges coming in to connect the hills as part of modernising the city, radical changes came to Murray King's clothes. For example, fun fact, the putrid hell swamp Nor Lock was drained for the building of the North Bridge, and once fully drained, that area got rehabilitated into Prince's Street Gardens Edinburgh now has today. 
The close itself was levelled down to only its bottommost floors in the 1750s, and then a royal exchange was built over the top. While some commerce continued in the remains of the close, Edinburgh just stubbornly making use of any space it can, whatever terrors may also lurk in the dark on the city areas, it was eventually written off as too disturbing even for the most obstinate Scots and was just sealed up. Mary King's close was forgotten for some time after it was sealed to keep people out rather than in, but it is now a tourist attraction. You can book a guided visit that makes full use of the history down there, some of it not even gruesome, and get to be surrounded by this history as its tales are told. But this time capsule is not open to the general public, which may be a good thing. From that 17th century tragic annihilation of the sick, all the way through to today, Murray King Close has been so haunted it is sometimes claimed to be the most haunted part of Edinburgh, which is impressive when you consider how haunted Edinburgh is. So, let's have a roll call of some of the famous apparitions that dwell here, where hell met earth and the stones never forgot. A severed head and arm of an old man, the arm of which reportedly was determined to shake hands with the living resident at the time. A floating child leading a parade of deformed animals. A tall lady dressed in a floor-length dark gown. A short, elderly man who looks distressed that can only be spotted in brief glimpses out of the corner of tourists' eyes. A tall man ghost that was caught on a TikTok video September of last year. A weeping little girl covered in plague sores, who a medium claims is named Annie, and is sad that she lost her doll. Believers now bring gifts for the little girl ghost, after the team with the medium first brought a new doll to leave in the room she was supposed to haunt. The whole hidden part of the city is saturated with the usual paranormal phenomena of anomalous sounds, feelings of dread, sudden drops in temperature, especially little Annie's room, and poltergeist activity on both items as well as visitors themselves. But for all this usual unusual, there's certainly some odder ghosts haunting this smaller but densely packed by spook section of the Under Edinburgh. That's all for this episode, and while a smidge later than I originally intended, this contest concludes our run on 2021, leaving 2022 before us. I have some fun plans for the year ahead, more collaborations, more pagan origins of festivals, more on-location investigations to dig up some real good stuff, and also some product ideas to come. So, I mentioned there'll be a long-term follow-up on this audience vote. As we head to the end of 2022, the Most Haunted in Britain contest shall return in an expanded form. We haven't yet touched upon Wales or Northern Ireland for the UK. We can chuck Cornwall in, as I sure as hell am not classing there as part of England anywhere someone Cornish can hear me. We can add the rest of Ireland expressly as a part of the Isles, not as a part of a UK region. And we can even add the Outer Islands as their own category. I'm quite excited for it, but it's a ways off yet. Feel free to email in contenders for these regions. The more I work in advance, the more I can do here. Quick fun extra about the Norlock. As the fences go, Edinburgh was only ever surrounded on three sides any given invasion since the Norlock was made. Absolutely no enemy army wanted anything to do with it, the body of water being so outstandingly nasty even by the standards of war first centuries past. Luke Law is a Ghost Story Guys production. If you do want to contact me, there's the show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day -day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with. The Luke Law Instagram is out there too, hopefully ready to get moving properly this year. My bad, it's been quiet, but I do have some plans there. 
If you want to support the show directly, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who might be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help signal boost me, and most of all I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. <laughs>